0: God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus, dear friends. Part of God's Word that we'll give our attention to this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Since it is a record of our Savior's words, I invite you to please stand for our Gospel reading. Jesus said to His disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith he replied if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field come along now and sit down to eat won't he rather say prepare my supper Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This
1: is the Gospel of our Lord. Please be seated.
0: Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there
1: as a burnt offering. That was God's command to Abraham. And so early
0: the next morning, Abraham got up, set out on the three-day journey that would take him to the place where he would carry out This command once there he built that altar he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and then raised that knife
1: and it was only then that God put a stop to it Abraham's faith had been tested and proved genuine I look around, I'm
0: sure that most, if not all of you, are familiar with that account. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul calls Abraham the man of faith. But as we think about that
1: account, do we wonder whether or not our faith would be able to rise to such a challenge? When our faith is tested in ways
0: far less severe than what Abraham faced when the obedience that God requires seems more than we can offer or when the hardships of life seem more than we can bear these words might quickly find their way to our lips today we heard Jesus own disciples making this request lord Increase our faith. Maybe that surprises us a little bit. I mean, after all, Jesus was with them in the flesh. They could see him, touch him, talk to him. They watched everything that he did, including the amazing miracles that he performed. If ever there were anyone who should have had a strong enough faith, it seems like it would be Jesus' disciples and if they felt the need for their faith to be increased
1: well what does that say about ours so why did they make
0: this request well it was because of the things that Jesus had just said the instructions that he had just given and maybe at first glance those instructions seem kind of small compared to the command that God had given Abraham. But let's look and see. Jesus said, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble.
1: But watch yourself. We live in a world
0: that's ruined by sin and a world that's full of sinful people. And so things that cause people to sin are going to come.
1: But Jesus says, don't you
0: be the cause of that. He's warning about causing others to stumble in their faith by our own sinful words and actions. And Jesus is especially concerned about those he calls the little one. We think about children for sure, but also those who are new in their faith, those who are weak in their faith. And we know that there might be plenty of ways by our words and actions that we could cause such little ones to stumble.
1: In a parenting Bible study I once led,
0: the point was made that children are always learning. It doesn't matter if we're trying to teach them or not. They're watching, they're
1: listening, and they're learning.
0: And so parents or grandparents too, what are the little ones or even the not-so-little ones in your care learning from you even when you're not trying to teach them? Do they hear you talking
1: about others
0: when you're on the phone? What do they learn? Do they watch some of the same programs that you watch and hear the things that make you laugh?
1: What do they learn? Are you appalled
0: sometimes at the things that you hear come out of their mouths, especially because you know where they learn that? Little children rely on the words and examples of the adults who care for them. They rely on those adults to provide for them both body and soul.
1: They're watching and they're listening.
0: And so what are we teaching them by the example that we set? Are we guiding them in their life of faith or are we kind of leaving them on their own to figure things out for themselves? Do we show them what love for other people looks like or Do they hear us gossiping about people that we don't like? Do we provide them with an example of what it means to honor God above all things in our lives? Or do we sometimes send mixed messages to them by the decisions that we make or the priorities that we set? Jesus
1: says, watch yourselves. What about those who are new in the faith? or weak in their faith.
0: They need our help too. Are we sensitive to that need? Are we patient with them as they grow in their faith? Are we there to try and help them and include them and encourage them along the way? Or do they kind of get the message from us that everything that they've learned doesn't really apply to us. We kind of do what we want and say what we want and live as we please. Jesus says, watch yourself. Your words, your example may be the only witness that some people are receiving. What message are they taking away from that about what it means to have a faith relationship with the Lord? What kind of an example do they see from us? Do they see Christ's love coming through in all that we do and say? Or do they see people who are supposed to be different, but look pretty much the same as
1: everyone else they know? The warning that
0: Jesus gives here couldn't be stronger. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around our neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So maybe we understand why the disciples said, "Lord." Increase our faith. Who can do this? But Jesus wasn't finished. He said, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Well, that's pretty difficult, right? I mean, maybe it's not too difficult for us to forgive that person for that one-time offense that they committed against us. They did something that hurt us, but they said they're sorry, it's over, it's in the past, all done. But that one who sins against us again and again, the one who sins against us often in the same way again and again, it's unnatural to forgive. You want proof just... Think about some of the long-standing grudges between nations and families and individuals. Sometimes that hatred and that thirst for revenge runs so deep that those things last for years and years. By nature, we are more inclined not to forgive
1: than to forgive. And so again, we understand why the disciples would say, Lord, increase our faith. Who can forgive like that? And how does
0: Jesus respond to that request? He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you.
1: If. When we hear
0: that word, usually it implies some doubt, right? For example, a wife might say to her husband, if you love me, you'll take out the trash. And the husband may respond by saying, if you love me, you'll do it yourself. In each case, the one is calling into question the love of the other. But that's not what Jesus is doing here.
1: When he says, if you have
0: faith, he's not calling into question the faith of his disciples. He's simply making a general statement about the nature of faith itself. He's saying that faith as small as a mustard seed can produce amazing things, can do impossible things. The disciples seem to think that what Jesus was asking them to do was too much because they didn't have the faith required for it. Their faith wasn't strong enough for the task. Like so many others, the disciples seem to have had a misguided view of what faith is and how it operates. They thought that their faith and what it can accomplish depended mostly on them. If only they could have a stronger faith, a tighter grip, then they could do almost anything. But that's not the way that Scripture talks about faith. Faith is powerful not because of us, but because of Him. Because of Jesus. It depends not on us, but on Him. Faith is powerful because it receives the powerful promises of Jesus, which never fail. That's why faith that's even as small as a mustard seed can do amazing things. Even the smallest faith can move mountains. Not because of the faith itself, but because of the object of that faith. So rather than saying, Lord, increase our faith, we can say, Lord, let our faith always and only look to you for everything that it needs. When our faith looks to you, then we will find all that we need
1: for our service to you. And see, that
0: kind of faith, faith that looks only to Jesus and looks to him for absolutely everything, that kind of faith can do amazing
1: and impossible things. If your
0: brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Maybe that doesn't seem all that amazing
1: or impossible. Have you heard of this woman, Corrie Tenboom? She was a
0: Dutch Christian whose family hid many Jews and other people during World War II from the Nazis until they were caught. Corey was just a young girl at that time. And when they were caught, Corey and her sister were sent to one of the concentration camps where her sister eventually died. After the war and after Corey was released, she traveled to Germany to speak about her Christian faith. And in one of her talks there, she came face-to-face with one of the prison guards from the concentration camp where she was at. She wrote about that encounter in one of her books, and I just want to read for you a section of that.
1: She said, It was at a church service in
0: Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the smallberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you.
1: Faith does the
0: impossible. When the obedience that God calls for seems more than we can offer, when the trials of life seem more than we can bear, when the tests of our faith seem more than we can endure,
1: Faith does the impossible. Because this faith rests on God, with whom
0: all things are possible. We live by faith in Jesus. And when that faith draws on His love, on His power, and on His forgiveness, it can produce amazing things in our lives. But when it does, Let's not think that it was our strong faith that accomplished that. Let's not think that we ought to receive some sort of recognition or reward because of it either. Jesus concludes this section by saying this, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only
1: done our duty. Jesus is reminding us of the obligation that we have
0: towards God. Our Christian life is simply our duty. This is what God created us for. This is what he redeemed us for. And so if we get to that point where we have done everything that God asked, if we ever could get to such a point, we'd still have to say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty.
1: When we are presented with the challenge of
0: following Jesus in this world, enduring the tests, enduring the trials that come, Jesus doesn't want us to focus on the strength of our faith but rather on the object
1: of that faith
0: on him he wants us to know first and foremost that it's only by his grace and power that we're saved the status that we have as children of god the forgiveness that we enjoy for all of our failures the hope of heaven that we anticipate all of that comes to us as a perfectly free gift from god's grace and not based on our works. It's not our faith that causes all those amazing things, but rather it's the faith that God worked in our hearts that receives all of those amazing things. So you see, it's not an increase of faith that we need.
1: Rather, it's God's constant assurance
0: that through faith in Jesus, we already have everything that we need. The Apostle Peter says it like this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. When our faith looks up to Jesus, then we find the strength that we need to serve, no matter what He calls us to do. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.